If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about rolling, we're talking about writing, we're talking about what does it look like to design a roll and write game. And we're talking to Joe Hout from Beluga Bliss Games. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, Gabe. Thanks so much for having me on. I am just ecstatic to be here. Just a big fan of, of all that is going on with the Board Game Design Lab. Yeah, man. Really glad to have you on the show. You know, rolling rights have just continued to increase and increase in popularity. seems like every major company is designing a roll and write, especially if they can tie it to an IP that they already have and design a, a super simple, maybe not even very good roll and write that they can cash in on. I'm not saying any names particularly, but it seems to be a trend anyway. Uh, and so we want to talk about today designing really good roll and writes that aren't just ripoffs of other games necessarily. Although I think that's something we're talking about. Maybe we'll dive yeah, into that yeah, yeah, that's in okay. a little bit. And But yeah, it just seems like this is the a hot trend. And I thought it was going to be a trend and then it was going to kind of taper off. And then, you know, we would have another one, but Maybe because of the pandemic, maybe because of yeah. you know, things going on around the world, it seems yeah. like rolling rights just continue to grow in popularity. More games are coming out, some really cool ideas and concepts, and people are really pushing the envelope with their mechanisms and the, and the way the games work. And so, yeah, just really pumped to have you on the show and talk about this. But before we get into it, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Thanks so much. Yeah, rolling rights are going strong, aren't they? Uh, so I'm Joe, and uh, I... Uh, I've been just a huge fan of Board Game Design Lab and following along and uh, have learned so much throughout all these different episodes. Um, I started designing games when uh, I was little uh, because I played Magic the Gathering and ever heard of it. It's uh, this great game. <laughs> and I was playing and I uh, would make little variations on that and I would uh, even playing like Hero Quest and I would make my own uh, variations on that. And then I finally just hit a point where I was like, you know what, I, I really want to make a game. I'd, I'd always uh, been working on little bits of pieces of things, but then never really tried to go the distance on it. And uh, a few years ago, I made a game called Dragon Draft, which is a, a trick-taking card game where you draft your hand instead. And so that really put me on this journey of uh, delving deeper into game design and uh, digging deeper into what that means to do game design and to work with others in it. And that's led me to today of designing a couple other smaller projects and a big passion around roll and write games now all of a sudden. Very cool, man. And so let's uh, let's just dive right in. Let's get a good working definition. When we're talking about roll and write, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so uh, it involves writing down some sort of uh, thing that is a, a random, something that's randomized and then writing it down. So whether it's with dice or with cards or some sort of random generator, and then you are using that and allocating that and, and writing it down on um, a piece of paper. Uh, Yahtzee is always the great way when I talk to people about a roll and write game. They're like, what's that? You ever played Yahtzee? Yeah, well, that's a roll and write. Uh, it's rolling the dice and then you're you're trying to fill out a card or or fill out the information um and man there is a wide range of what rolling rights have become and uh even flipping rights lately i think there's a lot of design space around that yeah definitely now flipping right that's when you have a, a deck of cards and you're that's flipping right. a card over right that's right yeah and so yeah why do you think these games have become so popular like i said in the intro like they're just all over the place. So many companies putting these games out and, and people just continue to buy them. They continue to do really well in the marketplace. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I I mean, I love them. They're they're lighter, so I feel like they're easier to 
get to the table. Um, there's a wider range of folks that, that may play it, right? And uh, it's a pretty low bar to, to get to play it. Um, I think that they're uh, cheaper to make, <laughs> so they're they're easier to put out there too. Uh, and there's they're just simpler as well too. They don't have as many uh, mechanics to them. And so you can, it, it's easy to say, oh, well, come, come, let's play this quick game. It's real easy. I just roll the dice. You just write something down. Uh, and so I think that uh, kind of all those different pieces are a perfect storm to make roll and writes a, a really great thing. And especially right now, so many roll and writes, they have the option to be played one to infinite or usually one to 100 plus, they say. And that is perfect right now because so many folks are home uh, and they can play by themselves or they can play via stream, via Twitch, or via Zoom. Uh, and so it's a perfect time for Roland Rights to, to keep shining, to keep being designed. Right. That's a really good point. And I want to talk a little bit more about that in a minute as far as games that are easily streamable, easily easy to play over the internet. I think that's a very valuable a component in this this wider conversation. But first, let's talk about accessibility. You brought up the fact that a lot of times these games are lighter. They're easier to get to the table. They're easier to explain. Maybe they're easier to bring in people who don't you know, necessarily play these gamer games, these industry games like, like we're used to. Uh, and so let's talk about that. When you're designing a roll and write, what are some things you're thinking about as far as accessibility? You know, I feel like you could easily design a three-hour roll and write if you wanted to, and maybe there's a market for that. The people who really love deep Euros and they really want to play a three-hour roll and write, maybe, mm, probably not. But, and so, you know, what are the things you're thinking about as, as a designer to make sure your games, your roll and write games are as accessible as possible? Yeah, I, um, you know, like when you sit down to play a game and the way it looks and the, the different mechanics that are there, you kind of have an expectation for how heavy or how light the game's going to be. I feel like when I sit down with a roll and write game, I am not expecting for like a brain burner, you know, like I'm thinking like, this is going to be a light experience. I'm going to be able to chat as we play. Uh, I'll get to think a little bit, you know, I, but I won't be like in the zone of like uh, really, really taxing my brain. And so that's, it's a, that's what I think about. It's a nice light, lighter experience. Um, you know, I think about like uh, dexterity games too. I think those are usually on the lighter side. So when I play a dexterity game, I'm thinking, oh, I'm not uh, thinking of all the, the major, major intricacies of that. And so with a roll and write, it's like, oh, well, th this will be a lighter experience. Gotcha. And now how do you make sure it stays a lighter experience? What are you looking at during playtesting or even just during the normal design process? Do you have a, a cap on the number of rules or the number of pages of rules or anything like that that a designer could basically get some help with as far as making sure they're staying in that range of super accessible? Yeah, uh, one thing is... Uh, I, I try to have some restrictions as I've been working on some of these rolling rights. One is that it's just one page. And so that limits your space. You only have so much real estate of what you're going to put on there. Uh, and so you are limited in that way. And that helps. Uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes is um, Mark Rosewater talks about that of restrictions. They, they uh, breed creativity. And that, so to have those restrictions, I think also just a, a few options with, with a roll and write, especially ones that scale infinitely, uh, you don't want it to be super linear to where the role is this and then everyone knows the right play to make. But you want it to have, uh, here's the role and, and there's a lot of different options so that we can all have these differing paths as we, as we play the game. Right. I think that's something definitely to, to keep in mind is how many rules are in this game. Is it also... How, how does it compare to the depth of the game? I think that's something that a lot of designers, no matter what kind of game you're creating, is you want to make sure your rule book and maybe the number of pages or the weight of the rule book is proportional to the weight of the game. And so you have a very light game. You want to make sure you have a very light rule book. And one thing I found, and maybe you found something similar, is sometimes I have a, an idea or a mechanism that is actually pretty easy to understand. It's pretty light in its nature. But the explanation of it on paper is a lot more challenging. Yes. And, you know, if I'm trying to get across how this works, because all of a sudden I'm not just sitting at a table telling my friend how to play. I'm having to explain it in very technical language how yeah. this thing works. And so yeah. what have you found in, in that regard? Yeah, I found that sometimes I think I have this genius idea and it makes perfect sense in my brain and it doesn't seem compl complicated at all. And then I get to the table. I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this. And then I roll all the dice and then... 
I just am like, this is way too complicated. What have I done? Uh, I thought this was going to make a lot more sense, but then uh, it, it is not where I want it to be. And so actually getting it to the table and trying it out and seeing how complicated it is, um, I found that especially with with these roll and writes, um, I've started making them to where you just use two dice. And that seems so simple. But uh, once you add more and more dice and in the, the, all the different combinations of that, some people, they get that analysis paralysis and they just are overthinking and it's too many choices. And so uh, with recent designs, just using two dice to where you really have just four choices as we go about here. I found that that's been really helpful. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I want to come back to dice in just a minute. But before we get any deeper, tell me why a, a person would want to design one of these games. What made you want to dive into designing these types of games? And just kind of tell me about your your genesis, your journey of getting to where you've designed quite a few at this point, And now you're actually putting games out into the, into the world and you know, for other people to enjoy. Yeah, you know... Um you're learning all along the way. And the first game that I actually uh, finished and made uh, was, I mentioned Dragon Draft, and it, it was pretty complicated. And it also, it, it required four players to play. So it had some weird restrictions that made it um, uh, not the easiest game for people to, to just pick up and play. And then the next game I made was a game called Tricky Kitty, uh, which was a kid's trick-taking game. and was super light, uh, something I could play with with my girls, and uh, you know I learned a lot from from that experience too. But then uh, I found that lighter games uh, I've just enjoyed designing those more um, in order to to play test them and the mechanics that are involved with them. Uh, but then the pandemic happened. <laughs> wow, it's really hard to design games during a pandemic and to get your play group together to play test. We have a local play group here and we would meet uh, about once a month and bring our designs and, but man, we couldn't do that anymore. And so then I just was thinking, well, what can I do? How can I keep designing? You know, game designers, you just can't turn your brain off. So you're always thinking, you're always writing stuff down. So then I started thinking, well, maybe I could try to do some of these roll and writes. And uh, I have a friend who's a musician and he has this thing. It's um, a 3 a.m music club i think is what it's called and it's to get people to just be writing songs and they do it once a week and it's due by 3 a.m and they have to in that week if they don't turn it in by 3 a.m they're done they don't get to submit it uh, but it's really just the, the practice of of doing it of writing a song and and putting it out there whether it's awesome or not it's just continuing to grow and, and, and learn from that experience. So I, I just always thought that was fascinating. So I just was like, well, what could I do to keep my mind active and to keep designing? And maybe there's a way that I could help give back. I was uh, doing a lot of virtual school with my girls, doing a lot of uh, virtual uh, uh, stuff with my work. And gosh, what can I do? And so then I was like, what if I designed a roll and write and did it once a week? I had this crazy idea that I was just going to do that throughout the whole pandemic. Um, well, I did. So you were going to make 300 games. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> As know. it turned out, you know, oh, man. <laughs> who knew? Right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I, I started and what that helped with, with me is I can get a lot of ideas, but it's actually landing on an idea and, and actually doing it. It's like uh, writing a paper. I'm uh, in school. And so, uh, it's when you get all those ideas to have a deadline is really helpful because then you actually do the work, you do the paper. So then to have a deadline of at the end of this week, I, I need to have this roll and write done. I'm not a graphic designer or anything, but I, I could put enough stuff together to do a one page and to, to write the rules for it. Uh, but that would mean throughout the week, I would need to be doing uh, some solo play testing and, and getting it together. And man, I'm just, I'm going to put it out there and we'll see what happens. And uh, I was thinking too, I'll make them all free. I'll just make these roll and writes and I'll make them free for folks uh, that need a distraction. It, it would be a new game to play. It would be free. And then also for folks that have the means, uh, I'm going to highlight a, a nonprofit, uh, especially for folks that are um, uh, feeding uh, nonprofits because so many folks are struggling during the pandemic. And so that's what kind of started this idea. I just hashtag games for good and I'll put these out there. So I made this first one called Nine Lives, which was you're a, a cat going into a dungeon and you have nine tries at, at going into the dungeon. Um, and I learned a lot from that, putting it out there. And then the next one I did was 
called Quarantine Haircuts because uh, I couldn't go to the barber. And I just kept thinking, I want to cut my own hair. And that is a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> I'm going to regret it. So then I made a, a game about that. Uh, and man, that one's not that great. But it's silly, you know, and it's fun. Uh, and then the next one I think is one of the better ones is called Super Dice Heroes, where you're a superhero going around to save the city. And I think what is is cool to see is that was just over three weeks. And just as you're working on a, a project and uh, honing some of your skills, how you can get better at it. And it was just, I'm just going to do it each week. Uh, the next week I did one called Abstract, where it's a paint-by-number game. Uh, kind of more abstract like uh, the game Sagrada and you're uh, making this abstract painting and then the last one that I made was called paleontologist where you are a paleontologist digging up dinosaur bones and uh, that one I think was probably the best of the bunch and that's it's kind of funny how it just each week it was learning new things and uh, things that I liked about the certain designs and things I didn't and just recently I went back and played the very first one I made nine lives and gosh I'm like here's what I would do differently. And it's funny, as you, you design, you go back and you say, oh, I, I really don't like this thing. Or here's how I can make this better. And that's just the, just keep designing, just keep doing it. And uh, part of it is is finding the motivation to do it or, or the the goals or the the deadline, the, the contest to enter. And uh, I've just found that that is super helpful to have uh, to have a space to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I heard some really good advice recently from an author named Donald Miller, and he was trying to get in shape. And so he realized that, you know, his, throughout his entire life, he's always struggled with eating too much candy and too many, you know, pizza pie and, and cookies and stuff. And so he had struggled pretty much his whole life with losing weight and staying healthy, staying in shape. Yeah. And he ha you know, typically would have these like big goals. All right, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. I'm going to be able <laughs> to run up this mountain, like whatever. He would come up with these big lofty goals but he had a tendency to do something towards the goal for a week or so and then fall off and fall procrastinate off. and give up on it. And I'm sure a lot of us can, <laughs> can uh, relate to that. And so <laughs> yeah. he had this idea that he was basically just going to lower the bar as far as you possibly could. Hmm. And he wanted to get into swimming and he thought, well, you know, swimming is a really good way to get in shape, to stay in shape. It's not bad on your knees, like out there running on the sidewalk or something like that. And so I, I want to start swimming but I want to make sure I do it. And so my my goal for every day, I want to swim, I think every day, five days a week kind of thing and then during the weekdays. But the only thing I have to do is I have to go to the gym and I have to get in the pool. That is my goal. Every day, just go get into the pool. If I don't feel good, if I'm, I'm having a bad day or I got a lot going on, I can then get immediately out of the pool, dry off and drive home or drive to work or whatever I need to do. But I have to go to the gym and get into the pool. And that was his goal every day, get in the pool. And he started doing that. And, you know, first day he swam a couple laps and the next day, maybe swam one, one lap and the next day, but he put this string of going to the pool or going to the gym, getting into the pool day after day, after day, after day, after day. And then it became a habit. It became yeah. just normal life. It became, if he didn't go to the pool, it, it'd be weird. Like his body felt like it's missing something. And so I feel like just lowering the bar all the yeah. way down with, with something and something that's super attainable, I saw an author online a while back talking about her process, like how she's so prolific because she writes three or four books a year, which is mm -hmm. insane to mm -hmm. think about. Yes. And someone said, how do you do that? And she said, well, my goal every day is to write 100 words. Hmm. It's like, well, that's nothing. Yeah, it's like three or four sentences. I mean, it's nothing. And she said, and some days I write 100 words and that's it. Some days I sit down to write 100 words and I write 5,000. In the zone, yeah. Uh -huh. right. and, but she said, the goal, though, is just 100. And if yeah. I just hit that, then it's a good day. It's been productive. It's successful. And I was like, man, that's that's a really good idea. How can you yeah. lower the bar so far that yeah. it that you, you can't help not do it? And then once you get in there, a lot of days you're going to do way more than that. But at the very least, you did something to move forward. And yeah. sometimes I was thinking, because my, my brain always goes back to football, they, they only blow the whistle when forward progress stops. As long as you're moving ahead that's one right. inch uh -huh. at a time. Yeah then the play's still live. Like they're not going to blow the whistle and, and blow the play dead until forward progress stops. So the goal is just to keep moving forward, keep moving your feet and, and progressing. Even if it's hardly anything at all, just keep moving forward. Yeah. And I think that's just a, a good way to live if you're creative and not have these big lofty goals as much as just having these tiny little yep. things that you're going to accomplish each yeah. day. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, that's a great example of, because sometimes it's just so big and then you just end up doing nothing. 
And so what's like, it's a discipline thing. What's the next right step? What's, how can I just take one step forward today? I mean, that's true for anything, right? (laughs) What's, how can I be faithful in this way to take this next right step? And I I think that's cool of like, what's a way to just, uh, for design, how am I going to design, move my design forward today? And, And that's a great idea. Just keeping the, that sounds weird. Lower the bar so that you can clear it no matter what, but that's not it. It's, it's to keep it moving, to keep it, to keep it moving ahead. And then sometimes you hit that moment that it's just like a sprint, you know, you have the, 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 the light bulb goes off and then all of a sudden you're, you're in the zone. I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to a year from now or two years from now to do some kind of case study and look back on how the pandemic affected things, because there's a lot of creative people out there who have just yeah. been wiped out. Like it's tragic that yeah. they haven't been able to accomplish hardly anything at all, if if anything, because of lots of different reasons. Yeah. And it is just a super tough time for a lot of people. But on the flip side of that coin, there's some people who have found a way to overcome mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this giant, massive obstacle, and they've pivoted and they're doing something different than they thought. It's different than they planned. But at the same time, they've found a way to be super productive or super uh, helpful and, and doing all mm-hmm. sorts of really cool things in the in the world or business or, or things like that. I know personally, I basically just pivoted and said, you know what, I'm just going to design solo games for a while. Yeah. I, just That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to lean into that, you know, games that I can design by myself and not have to worry about getting a whole bunch of playtesters to, to come over to my house and I can just do that. And I know there's a lot of other people doing similar. It sounds like you had a, a similar idea. It's like, well, I can design rolling rights. I can do that here and, and play that and I can play that over the internet. And so I think that's just something to keep in mind is, when things happen that alter your plan, whether yeah. it's a giant global pandemic or just something specific, right. custom made for your life, well, yeah. how do you respond to that? And it's not easy, but if you can find a way around it, some really cool things can come out of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, make those solo games, Gabe. I'd love to play them, man. <laughs> I think there's something cool about solo games, too, of the playtesting process I found with these roll and writes. Um, you know, Matt Leacock, uh, he said something in an interview talking about to like, just get it to the table as soon as possible. Um, don't get stuck on like over designing or, um, or like spending a lot of time on a prototype. He's like, just forget all that, get it to the table and just see what works and see where it leads you. Because the more that you, um, put into like, you invest your time, then all of a sudden this mechanic may not fit, but you have this tie to it and then you don't want to get rid of it. And so I found like, I have a, um, like a dry erase and, uh, I'll put it in a, a clear sleeve and then I just will write on it and then easily just erase it and, and be designing that way. And so it's just super loose, but it's just, you're not tied to you. I spent three hours working on this, this, <laughs> this page. I, it's really got to pay off now. I don't want to lose that time. Instead, it's just get it to the table and use a pencil and start writing that down. And then you can go from there. And I found that solo games, that's what's so great about them is you can just play test them right there. And uh, that's what I found is really helpful, at least during the pandemic right now. Yeah, definitely. Neil Gaiman, I saw a, a video a while back where he was talking about his writing process and he does all of his first drafts on on paper just writing it down with a pen he's got this little notebook he'll carry around and he'll write his first drafts just on on the written page and then he'll go and and transfer that over onto his computer and what he talked about was how when you type something out the first time and it's on your computer and then you go do the second draft you go through the editing process that you'll delete stuff and it feels like oh this, this hurts like i spent an hour writing that whole paragraph, writing that page. And then I just deleted the whole thing. And he talked about how it just felt weird as a creative, like I created this thing and now I just deleted it and all that work is gone. But he talked about how when he switched over and was only writing down his first drafts, then when he went over in the second draft in the first part of the editing process, Mm. it was actually less work because he was going from the written page and now typing it out word for word onto his computer. Uh And so when he chose to, remove something, but now it's actually less work because he doesn't have to type that paragraph out onto the second draft in his computer. He's like, it made it a lot easier. I didn't feel like I was wasting time anymore. I was like, that's super interesting. How do you, how do you apply that to game design? And to go, go back to something you said a a minute ago, basically there, there's no substitute for reps. There's just, there's just not, you know, you can, you can talk about bench press all day long. You can watch YouTube videos. You can read books about it. You can call up your, your friend who's a gym rat and you can talk about it. But until you get in the weight room and actually do some bench press, 
there's no substitute. It's yep. the same game design. You can think about it. You can talk about it. You can listen to podcasts. You can watch YouTube videos and think big things and, and yep. dream about wonderful things. But until you sit down and actually put the game on a table and move some components around and, and prototype it out and play test it, there's just no substitute for that. And you bring up a really good point that rolling rights are a lot easier to get to the table. So if you're a new designer, let's talk about it from yeah. that standpoint. Yeah. If you're a new designer, what or for, for a new designer, what would be your advice as far as rolling rights? Why is this a really good entry point into the game design process? What, do you, what are your thoughts? Man, uh, I think everyone should try to design a rolling right because there there will be more of them in the world to play. And uh, if you just think about what can I do with one page, uh, all of a sudden, um, well, when I start to work on a game, I can start to like think so big and then well what about this component or what if it was this thing and you're just like going on and on and I mean that's great for brainstorming to be able to to be in that zone but uh, eventually it just where is it they actually are going to make something and so with Roland Rights it's like well I have dice and I have a page (laughs) and uh, the rule page you know what it's just going to need to be one page also I think when you make those really clear restrictions all of a sudden uh, it's how am I gonna? How am I gonna do that? And usually, I'll come up with a theme, and then I work within that theme also. So that was a superhero themed, and then I went from there. What what would it look like for a superhero to be flying around the city in a roll and red game? What would it be? Well, maybe the dice could be for movement. Maybe the dice could be for uh, saving uh, bystanders or helping at different locations. Uh, and then you just kind of uh, go from there, designing it. So. Uh, Man, it's so great because anyone can do it too. They can print it off at home. And so just uh, sit down with a piece of paper and two dice and and uh, start designing, start trying some things. Right. Constraints are super helpful, especially when you're just starting out. When, when the sky is the limit, it's actually not a good thing because it's it makes not. it really difficult. It's kind of like when you go to a buffet and you could eat anything. It's like, well... I don't know what I want now. There's so many options and you don't want to make a mistake and eat the wrong thing. It's like, oh no, I should have gotten the, the steak and not the shrimp, whatever. And so it can be helpful when there's only steak or there's only shrimp and you're only living in that little box. And uh, yeah, it makes the design process a lot easier. But let's talk about some of your favorite role and rights. What are some of the games out there that you really love? And what is it about those games that stand out? You know, one that my wife and I just got super into was um, That's So Clever. I don't know if you've played that one. I have. Uh, it is uh, a little bit more brain burny than uh, some of these other games. They are, yeah. But man, that one really scratches this this itch of, uh, I love the combo nature of that. Uh, and it's pretty interesting the way that um, you roll and how you use dice, but then how other people use the dice. Um, that one, you do have to be all sitting at the, the table or, you know, it, it's it's not, doesn't scale to a bunch of people, uh, but it plays solo really well. And um, I love the the way that the, the numbers combo and that you can, well, if I mark this, then I, I'll, that'll get me to go up here to the blues and mark that. And then if I X that off, that'll take me down to the purples and um, the combo pieces in that I love. Um, I think one of the best rolling rights or flipping rights is cartographers. Um won a bunch of awards and uh, it has such openness uh, polyominoes is, is a great space for rolling rights uh just to, the way you, you fill in spaces feels really good like you think about tetris and when you would get the the long four piece and put it in it just is like ah it feels great and when you can have that happen in a game like patchwork doodle has that somewhere where it just fits and, and you feel great about that. And you, you feel clever too, you know, like when you fit that the piece in just the right way, cartographers, I think did a really cool thing with all the, the replayability it has uh, for the different uh, seasons and the uh, different end game uh, scoring pieces. So then every time you play, it's just so different, but it, the monster piece is so fun where you pass your, when the monster shows up, the enemy, you actually pass your sheet to the player to, to all to the left. And then you mark on someone else's sheet, like the worst place for this monster. Man, cartographers just did so many things right. It's just a great game. And uh, it's, I think, something to Roland Rights too. Adult coloring books is a thing, you know? And so some of these that, that where it has some sort of artistic piece to it where you can, uh, decorate a little bit. Some people get really into that. They use different uh, colored uh, pencils and they add a little extra flair to it. Um, yeah, it seems like people just innately enjoy creating 
things is just something about the way our brains are wired. Not yeah. everybody necessarily, but a lot of people, we, we like creating a thing and then going from basically nothing, a blank page almost. And then by the end, we've got a thing that we've built, whether it's a little city or like you're saying, like little artistic things going on. It's just something that really kind of draws us in. So I think that's something yeah. to think about if a person's designing Roll and Write games is how can you tap into that natural part of human psychology? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, you know, like doodling and like it feels good after you doodle, after you after you do some art, uh, it feels good. You created something. And I think that's a piece of roll and writes that are more than just marking off X's. Some of them that, that have the spatial element, like cartographers. I think that that uh, as you finish, it's like, look what I've made. Look what I did. That feels great. Um, I think uh, the, the, I mentioned paleontologist, that game that I made, which has a lot of things similar to cartographers with some spatial pieces that you're using uh, pentominoes and trying to surround these different dinosaur bones. Uh, and then you use different dig types. So that's your with one die, you're choosing the certain shape with the other die, you're choosing a certain dig type around it. And you get a bonus if you use the same dig type. It was great. It, I really like it. I think it's it's good. Uh, but then I uh, had the idea to do a holiday edition. And uh, instead of dinosaur bones, it was digging up pieces out of the snow to build a snowman. And the actual pieces that you dig up, you draw them onto a, an actual snowman that's on the page. And that just opened up this whole other idea of now people that are playing it, they're, they're not just digging up the thing for the most points, they're digging up uh, the flower because they want their snowman to have a flower. They're digging up the mustache because they think it would be funny to have their snowman have a mustache and silly stuff like that that uh, I think kind of takes that game in a, another fun direction. Yeah, for sure. Any other games that would need to be on the Mount Rushmore of games to check out as far as rolling right? Oh, yeah. Um, we really like Quicks in our house. Have you played that one before? No, I don't think I've played that one. Yeah, um, it's from GameRight and uh, it's super simple, uh, but it's got the rolling of dice, and then uh, you get to pair up uh, two dice, and you're trying to, to fill from left to right uh, numbers from 2 to 12, and then, uh, that's two of the tracks, and then two of the other tracks are from 12 to 2. And it plays so fast, and it's just it's a delight of a game. And I, I think that that uh, is is one of the best out there. And you can play that with anyone too. Like there there's some games that are so gamer that even when you put it on the table, um, like some people just check out, they can't even touch it. <laughs> but there are some of these games that it still scratches that itch for gamers, uh, but are just light enough that are not intimidating. It's like hey, let's gather around, let, let let's play this. Uh, uh, with my job, I get to work with a lot of students, a lot of youth, and uh, finding those games that people can enjoy together and, and have a good time and, uh, and and get everyone involved. I, those are games I'm a big fan of. Um, I think another game that Roll and Write that did Roll and Write really well is On Tour. Uh, it's got a map of the United States, and you're a band. You're going on tour around it, and it uses two D10s, and it's got a really cool thing that you can uh, choose which way you want it. So if the the two dice rolled a, a one and a three, it could be a 13 or it could be 31. And then you have to go in ascending order. Um, man, that game's great. Uh, and that, that's one of those that scales really well too. Um, I, I, those are some of my favorite roll and write games. Very cool. All right, let's talk a little bit about dice versus cards versus custom dice. I think those are the three main ways that these games present information and maybe it's a d6 maybe it's a d10 like you said but it, you know dice custom dice yeah. cards so tell me different things to be thinking about why would i use one as opposed to another that kind of thing yeah cost is one of the big things to think about and availability if it's a free roll and write game um i would say almost everybody has a d6 in their house and so uh if you're using that you know they don't have to do anything extra all they do is just grab their their dice from monopoly or from whatever game they have and then they can be playing and i think that's positive about that custom dice those can be um expensive to have made if you're gonna uh, be making a game so if you're gonna be showing your game uh to a company when you're like, hey, uh, here's this roll and write game. It's really light. It plays about 10, 20 minutes, and it has 50 custom dice. And being like, well, uh, no, we can't do that. <laughs> that's, that's way too much money for all those custom dice. Uh, I think also with cards, that's a really low cost with that. And also with cards, you can control more of the randomness. 
uh, so many folks, they had experience with Catan and how great Sellers of Catan is, and me too. Man, that really helped me on my uh, love of board games. Uh, but I hate it when you're rolling those dice and then you keep hitting that same number and your number's not being rolled. Uh, they have that you can just get a deck of cards instead, so it actually is the exact probability of what the dice would be, and it makes sure that that 2 and 12 will eventually flip over at one point. So that's one of the cool things about uh, flipping rights, too. Uh, you know, I didn't mention Welcome To is another great example of a roll and write game that does the flipping right really well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when it comes to figuring out the number of dice, you mentioned that your games a lot of times will you just use two dice. Why is it two? Why is that kind of the magical number versus three? Some games use four, some games use five. So how do you kind of figure out the best number to use? Yeah. So with uh, a game abstract that I made, uh, that is you roll um, five dice and you're going to pair two of the dice. You pair two dice and then you pair two dice and then the other die you use to get a bonus. And it's a little thinky, you know. (laughs) You can see when you roll and then people are... You can see their eyebrows kind of furrowed. Um, just as you add more dice, and it's just a whole other option. Uh, even I found like adding dice, uh, adding two dice, people are great at doing that. They're just used to that. It's it's simple enough. But the moment you add three dice in to add those together to try to figure things out, um, man, it just gets a little too mathy. And so uh, with this recent project I've been working on, I've really just restricted it to I'm only going to use two dice for every single page of this roll and write. And uh, it's really challenged me to be creative with those two dice and to still make it interesting. Uh, But I found that the games play a lot faster and uh, it can still be a good experience, even with just two. Right. And I guess it also depends on is this game solo or is it multiplayer? If you have a roll and write game where every player takes a die. So let's say you've got a four player game and you've got five dice. And so you roll the dice and then in turn order, each player takes a die and then players after them can't take it. Well, then in that case, you, you want to have more dice because then you That's give players right. more options and you're not just stuck. Right. And so I guess it also just depends on the type of game that you're developing. Uh, but let's also talk about colors because I've played several, several roll and writes where the color of the dice had an impact on how the game was played. So tell me about that. Maybe some other ways you can use color of the dice in different ways for these games. Oh yeah. I mean, that opens up a whole nother design space. Just imagine if all your dice are the, the same color. That's not a factor at all. You know, you're, it's a little more linear with that, but the moment that it's all of a sudden, uh, two different colors man it opens up a whole nother space for that like i mentioned quicks that that's one of the highlights of that game um uh gosh we just played this game called divvy dice this past week and that was a delight of a game that involved uh different colors and and marking them off and uh that depending on there was a wild involved uh, game right does this really well too with their games of having the different colors and the different zones like rolling america or rolling japan uh, and this other game called Bloom, where you're circling different flowers. And so the, the colors of the dice actually associated to colors of flowers. And then one of the dice is, is a clear die, and that's the wild die. Um, so that opens up tons of space. And just like you were saying earlier, that there are uh, games that can be played solo or to infinite. And those are, it's the pool, uh, the randomization is not being interacted with at all, which makes it perfect for streaming or you could even play along with someone that played that game and you're watching a recording and you're playing along with their roles, which I think that's that's kind of the design space that I'm really into with Roll and Rights. But uh, when you're sitting around a table with folks and interacting with dice, man, that's that's a really great Roll and Write experience too. Um, but that's one of the restrictions I've kind of made for myself is what if they can't interact with these dice uh, or, you know, take them or move them? how could they still have a good experience just by looking at two numbers? Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to colors, one of my favorite rolling rights is rolling America, but I like the rolling Sherlock version. Oh, I haven't used played this. that one. Oh, I mean, it's excellent. I've used it yeah. in my English class. We'll oh, be doing cool. the Sherlock Holmes unit and I'll take a day or two and we'll, we'll pull out this game. And what's great about that one, it's got different colors and then a bust, a picture or silhouette of uh, Sherlock Holmes. And it's got the different zones and these different colors. And I love 
just the choices you get to make. And it's kind of brain burning and it's got different rules yeah. about what numbers can go where and yeah. you have to match the colors and there's a wild die. And it's not crazy. There's not too many rules or anything. I can explain it to a, a group of 10th graders in two minutes and then we can hop in. And once you start playing, you realize that your brain is going to explode a little bit because sometimes the choices are really tough. At, you know, you're, do I place the blue six here or do I place the red, red four here? And it, it's just really interesting. And the colors really add to the experience. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I think colors are a great way to just add some variety to yeah. how the numbers interact. I just played Rolling America uh, just a, a few weeks ago for the first time, and it was great. And uh, the, the colors in that, because for the different areas of the United States, that's what the colors coordinate to. And uh, But the, re the restrictions of what number you can't place a number that's either higher or lower than one. Gosh, that really got me on my first play. But one thing that I love about these really great roll and rights is uh, how they mitigate the randomness of dice rolls and the the bonuses that's always what i love in these different games uh is is with those special bonuses that uh, either let you increase or decrease the die or make it a wild die and i think that's some fun design space with these one page roll and rights is how do you uh create these kind of diverging paths for players to give them a lot of choices uh for just a, a few dice that are rolled so that they aren't just stuck with, well, I just have a three and a four. I guess I have to place that. Well, actually you can increase or decrease or you can turn that four into to anything. Oh, wow. That really opens up my options here. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's talk about dice mitigation and what are some of the ways that you've seen work really well? Maybe what are some of the ways in, in your own games that you've found to give players a little bit more control over something that's completely random, like rolling dice? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, giving those bonuses so that they can either unlock them during the game, and then uh, and then use them, uh, and not putting a ton of restrictions on those bonuses too. I found is great, and so that you can use as many bonuses that you've earned uh, at any point in the game. Uh, I found that that kind of opens up some really cool design space. For some reason, I always end up with upgrade tracks, too, on a lot of these. And so uh, as you're choosing, use use a die uh, for this action and then use a die for an upgrade track. And then as you go on that upgrade track, that gives you bonuses, special bonuses. Um, and the, with Super Dice Heroes, that actually adds a die. It doesn't just manipulate the die to increase or decrease or make it a certain number. It actually gives you an extra die of, of any number. And that really adds for some combo-rific turns, you know, that makes you feel really clever and feels really good as you're kind of, well, if I do this and then that, um, I think that's a cool way to, to add with bonuses. Right. And I think giving players the opportunity, opportunity to feel clever is a really smart design choice. And the more you can lean into that, and maybe not overcomplicate it not don't give people 10 different you know ways to, that they're making combos or anything like that may be careful in adding too much but just giving players the opportunity to feel smart especially if they can feel smarter than the other people sitting at the table who had the yeah. exact same dice that had the yeah. exact same roles and yet you found a way to beat them by 50 points like that gives you a really good feeling and so what are yeah. some thoughts in there as far as designing these clever moments or these opportunities for players to feel clever what are your thoughts yeah some openness with with uh with the choices with that um like cartographers does that so well it's just this grid and then it flips over and you get to choose which shape you're gonna do and uh you sometimes get to choose what terrain it is and you can put that anywhere on this grid and just the openness to that it just it, i think that's that's a great way to to navigate that um I think also just the the choices Super Dice Heroes uses movement, and rather than just a really linear linear piece that you can move to the different locations around, and the, there's six different locations, one for each uh, die, and then as you go to that location, then you use dice to uh, help people there, and so you can move to multiple locations on a turn, or you could just go to one location and try to solve a bunch of things there, and. and just the openness of those options, I think, is is helpful. Very cool. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. So it seems to me like there are three different categories of roll and rights. There are solo roll and rights. There are multiplayer roll and rights. 
And then there are multiplayer solitaire rolling rights. And, and by my definitions, I want to get your thoughts in just saying, but the way I look at it is a solo game. It's just me versus the game. I'm yeah. rolling dice. I'm sitting there by myself and it's, it's me trying to get a high score or me trying to accomplish some goal, me versus the game multiplayer. There's other people there and they can affect me in some way. Yeah. If, if there are a bunch of dice rolled and Bob takes a die and now I can't, or like you're saying with cartographers, I have to give my sheet to another player and then they put a monster in the worst possible place for me, best possible for them, worst for me. And so there's multiple things going on with, with people being able to affect you. And then there's multiplayer solitaire where maybe there's a bunch of us playing over the internet or all at the same table, yeah. but you can't affect each other in any way. We all have access to the same dice. You can't take something. You can't hurt someone or help them in any way. And so those seem to be the three genres or categories i guess of rolling rights am, am i on the right track there and yeah, what are your I, thoughts i think that's a great way to categorize them i think it, in all honesty the the best of those is is the middle one of where you're able to interact right like that's the sitting around a table with folks and your decisions that you make uh affect other players or other players what they do you have to think about that i think those are that's a really great play experience but you have to be sitting around the table with folks uh, to, to do that. You have to be interacting with those dice. So that's where the the multiplayer, how did you word it? I thought it was so good. Multiplayer solitaire, which yes. is typically something in Euro games. Yes. Where we're all sitting there <laughs> playing the same brain burning two hour, three hour Euro game. But yes. it's really like, you don't bother me. I'm not going to bother you. That's I'm not right. like, we don't even have to talk to each other. We can just sit here and play the game. Right. And so, yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are we here? It's like, like we're all playing a solo game together at the same table. Yeah, this could have been an email. I could have done this at my house. <laughs> right. <Yeah. you> know? <laughs> but you know, some of those are just still more, are just really fun. And, and some folks, they hate interaction like that. Like it, like the cartographer's piece where you pass your, your paper to someone else and they write on your paper. Some people hate that mechanic because you just messed up my beautiful thing I've been working on. And so for these solo experiences, multiplayer solo, they, they really um, can, for some folks, it's just a pleasant time that you're, we just had a, we enjoyed watching a movie together. You know, we enjoyed playing this game together. Wasn't that great? Who got the highest score? Oh, you did. Good job. You know, like there's, uh, it's got a different feel to that. And some folks, that's just their jam. I think there's a whole uh, group that people love that style of roll and write game. Right. And there's really no wrong answer. It really comes down to who is your target audience? And also, yeah. what is the theme of the game? Does it make sense to have these moments of interaction? Cartographers make sense. There are monsters that are attacking. And so it makes sense to have to pass your sheet to the player next to you. And then they put the monster in a terrible place for you because that's that makes sense thematically. Yeah. But if you're doing a game where it doesn't make sense, then it's going to be kind of awkward. It's going to be kind of odd. Like, well, why are, why are we doing this? Why did you get to interact in that way? Why did you mess me up? And I think going back to the psychology of things, people like to create, they like to build, and it doesn't feel good if someone else comes along and tears down in one turn what took you 10 turns to build up. That's, and so I think that's, that's something right. to, to be aware of. And, but again, who is your target audience? What is the market that you're going for for the game? I think it's yeah. something to, to identify early on and then lean into that and make sure you're really hitting what those people like, what they enjoy, what they find uh, the best. And so, yeah, do you have anything else to add as far as solo, multiplayer, multiplayer solitaire? Yeah, I think I love the idea of playing along with folks. The first game that I played that did that really well was that um, on tour. Um, I remember Rado did a, a, a playthrough of that, and he had all these people that they could play along. And I remember watching it, too, and it, I was watching a replay. And he's like, well, if you're watching the replay, join along. And that that was like, that's really clever, that you can be playing along with this person you follow on YouTube and see if you get a higher score than them. And you're using all the same dice. And so in a, like that idea that I could be sitting at home by myself and yet have a play experience that's so positive. Um, and so that's what I think is the, what makes the multiplayer solo um, better. Uh, it has a, a special niche there, uh, especially now with a lot of folks that are isolated and with the, a lot of folks on Twitch, they, they will do board games where they're just playing and you're watching them play uh, a game. But the play-alongs, I think that's where these roll and rights really have a unique space uh, that is still being discovered and games are still being designed. Um, you know, shout out M. Peebles on Twitch. He he started twitching some of these games. And gosh, that was the best feeling last year. <laughs> you know, 2020, tough year in so many ways. Uh, but over the summer, to see him twitch and play one of my games and to play along... Uh, that was just one of the best feelings. And also, 
all these folks that were playing, I was able to see things that maybe they had questions about. And it was like a, a play test, like a blind play test. They were playing this game that I made for free and I'm playing along with them, but then they all share their scores afterwards or someone would say, I don't understand this rule. And then he would explain it again. And, um, you know, like that was really helpful for me to, to see that it uh, played out like that. So I think there was something cool too, to having it be free. The bar's pretty low for that. Uh, you know, no one has to pay any money to, to get in to play it. Um, Ambi also from uh, Board Game Blitz. Uh, she she streamed a couple of these games and uh, it's just fun to, to see that and, and to see how people react and what their scores would be. And to even uh, the streamers that as they're playing, they're usually sharing their thoughts and hear what they think is super helpful because I'm like, I wouldn't have thought that. And uh, uh, there's a, a recent um, TikTok that's become really popular with uh, the different shapes and, and a square and where does this go? And then the person puts it in the square shape and then they pull out another block and it's like, where does this go? And it, it should go in a different shape, but it fits in the square shape. So they, and they do that with six different shapes, you know, they all fit in the square shape and the person watching is like reacting like, no. And like, that's what design can be like sometimes that you intend it one way, but then it ends up a different place. Uh, so that's one thing that's been fun about these Twitch streamers is, to see them play these games live and uh, nothing replaces at least for me the joy of seeing someone play a game and have a good time that is just like the best yeah absolutely and you bring up a really good point is that these games have opened up a totally different way to play where you can play retroactively you can go find yeah. a youtuber that played one of these games a year ago two years ago and you can play along with them even today and i think that's a really cool design space and let's talk about that a little bit more what are your thoughts on designing games that are easy to stream or that are easy to play over the internet? What are some things you're thinking about? How do you do that effectively? Yes. So we said design uh, or restrictions are really helpful. I had this crazy idea. Uh, what if I made a roll and write game that's like a legacy style episodic that you are playing along week to week? And it's not like that at the beginning, the whole game's released and that you can play through and all that stuff. And then a streamer would play through it. What if it actually was coming out week to week, like a TV show was, and you are playing along live with someone streaming it. And so that uh, led to this idea. I, I started, I was like, I'm going to make this epic roll and write adventure. That's going to be 50 roll and writes, 50 weeks. Thankfully, uh, Cody in my design group was like, um, that's way too much. <laughs> no one's going to want to play for 50 weeks, uh, maybe like five or 10 or 12. And I was like, thank you. That's good advice. <laughs> so uh, I had this crazy idea for this game called Dice in the Darkness. That's a 10 room dungeon explore roll and write adventure that you start out and you uh, choose a character. You can be a wizard, a warrior or a rogue and they all have unique abilities, and you work your way through this dungeon. The plot is that your your dog, Dice, he has been uh, captured, and you are trying to, to rescue him. And so you would go from room to room, and each room would be a week, and that week you would play this roll and write, and then you would save your character sheet and bring that back the next week with the upgrades you had unlocked, and then you would play a brand new roll and write adventure, and the next room, it would be in a similar vein, but a, a different experience. So it wouldn't just be the same room with a couple tweaks. It would be a completely new roll and write game. And uh, this has just been a ton of fun design space with it. Uh, and I, I'm looking at uh, having this uh, go on Twitch. I've, I've started streaming on Twitch, uh, shouting out to the void there <laughs> on Thursday nights at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's been a, a fun outlet for me and play along videos for folks to play along. Um, and the idea is that I'm going to premiere this Dice in the Darkness and for folks to play along. And then it'll be free and, and anyone can stream it later, of course. And uh, they could... Uh, download all 10 rooms at the end of it and just play it themselves at their home in one sitting or uh, play with their family uh, or they could uh, follow along on the stream is the idea. 
Very cool. And when it comes to designing one of these games that is easy to stream, easy to play over the internet, what are you, what are you thinking about? What are some of the things in your design process that you had to think about or had to change or how to cut out just because you had that constraint of, all right, we have to be able to play it over Twitch, have to be able to play it over Zoom or something like that. Tell me about that process and different things you were thinking about. Yeah. Uh, like we mentioned before, the, the, the very few dice. So every room, it's only going to use two dice. Um, really simple rules, especially for this type of experience. It's not going to be a thing that you come back to the room a bunch of times. It would need to be that the first time you play a room, you have to be able to understand the rules and play it and feel like that you made important decisions and that not at the end that you go, oh gosh, I made a bunch of mistakes. I wish I could go back and do that. You could, but I want it to be that it's a great first-time play. And so part of that is that the rules are easy enough to grasp, uh, simple enough, uh, and yet still allowing enough options, um, which uh, sounds impossible, I guess, but we're going to see if it's going to work. Some of the, the bonuses, I think, too, like we mentioned earlier, I think that's been helpful. I think the length of game, so it's 15 to 20 rounds for each room, so just 15 or 20 rolls. So the games play pretty quick. I think those kind of restrictions have helped to, to keep the design moving forward. Yeah, I think another thing to think about is to make sure the game is light enough where it's not super brain burning. Because if you want to stream it, then you want the person streaming to be able to talk through what they're doing, why they're doing it. But if they have to do a bunch of math or have to keep a bunch of ideas in their head and do a bunch of accounting and bookkeeping and, and keep it in their brain, it's going to be hard for them to multitask and also talk about why they're doing stuff or what they're thinking or, or get ideas from the people watching. Because I know a lot of times streamers will do polls or they'll ask quick questions and, and check out the chat and see what yeah. people are saying. And so I think that's just something to also keep in mind is, is how complicated is this game? And if you want it to be streamable, then it probably needs to be on the lighter side. Uh, for sure, or even just have opportunities for feedback for where people can chime in and say, oh, you need to do this or you need to use that die for this reason and just give people uh, that space uh, to do that. Yeah, that's that's great, Gabe. That's a great point. And, you know, I think that that game Abstract I mentioned, uh, it, used, it used so many dice and the way you put them together, you had uh, many options. And when I, I've seen people stream that, the dice are rolled, they say the dice, and then there's this moment that it's just silence for a while. <laughs> like, they're really thinking about the best move. And and that, you know, doesn't quite translate very well. Also, the more choices there are with that or the how complicated it is, you want to have your viewers be able to keep up. And so the more dice that are involved, uh, they have to be making more choices, and different people play at different speeds. And so... You don't want to be moving ahead, and someone is two turns behind you. Or there's, you know, putting in the chat, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not ready yet," and you have to keep, you know, waiting. And so, uh, the simpler and the the fewer dice choices there are, I think, the better it is to be able to be streamed via Twitch. Yeah, absolutely. All right, it would be a complete travesty of us if we did not mention naming a roll and write in this particular <laughs> episode because it just seems like there's a, oh, no. a art, a science. I don't, it's got to be more art than science as far as naming these things. A lot of them are based on puns. A lot of them are based on these kind of turns of phrase and things yeah. like that. So tell me your your thoughts, your ideas as far as naming <laughs> one of these games effectively. Do you know there's a, there's an actual roll and write called Roland Wright? I was hoping you would mention that one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. R, <laughs> like you're saying, R-O-L-A-N-D-W-R-I-G-H-T, Roland Wright. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's it's a fun game too, uh, but I, I feel like that's part of these Roll and Write games. There's usually a pun, and I'm all in for those puns. I think they're great. Um, uh, what led me to Dice in the Darkness was the original idea of a Rogue and Write game. I just remember talking to my playtest group and being like, Here's here's all I have so far, a Rogan Wright game, and they're like, I'm in. I was like, Yeah, okay, well, uh, we'll see what happens. And so that first game I made, Nine Lives, that's what I put with it. Nine Lives, a Rogan Wright game. I don't think it quite pays off on the expectation that would come with that, uh, you know. But Dice in the Darkness, I the hope is that it does pay off on that. Uh, I had a crazy idea too. I haven't done any designing of this, but Dice in the Darkness has had me on this idea of episodic roll and writes and i think the next one i want to do is it would be a five page so it would tell a story and each one would be a unique 
I roll and write. Uh, but we were listening to a podcast about the Wright brothers. And I'm from Ohio, from the Dayton area, all about the Wright brothers and live in North Carolina. So first in flight stuff. And I was like, oh man, to have a five page roll and write adventure about the Wright brothers. And I was like, well, it's got that right in there. So it would be a roll and write brothers uh, game. So uh, I think you could also travel down the, the road of the Roland flight. Oh no, Gabe. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Copyrighted, but you can have it. It's fine. Oh my gosh. That that's better. Roland flight, a uh, Roland flight. Oh man. There's so many good things there. That's great. With the, the, the youth that I work with, um, I played one of these with them and they, um, uh, we're, they're talking about a, a Rick roll. Yeah. And they were talking about a roll and, <laughs> Uh, a Rick roll and write. And I was like, that's pretty good. That one, I think there's some potential there. So, or at least to, to troll somebody and to do a Rick roll, a troll and write game. I don't know. There's, there's something there. Troll and write. That sounds excellent. And it's based off internet memes or something like that. Wouldn't that be oh good? man, these games design themselves just based off the titles. I really think. <laughs> well, man, this has been excellent. Joe, what uh, closing thoughts? What advice would you give to someone who's thinking about designing one of these games? Maybe they've been working on one for a while. What would you What would you say to them? Yeah, um, you know, just do it. it just, uh, um, I don't know. Sometimes it, it takes a, a little extra nudge, and uh, just to encourage folks uh, that your your creativity matters. Uh, you have a game that you can share with the world and you can make the world a better place. I just think about the, the smiles that people have around a table or uh, playing on Twitch or whatever, right? Uh, that happens, the magic that happens with the game. And uh, if you have that feeling as you're listening and you're like, gosh, I really would like to make a game, just start doing it. Just uh, like, like Gabe was saying earlier, take, take those, those next steps. Uh, what, what would be that one thing today? Uh, maybe it's just sitting down right and uh, writing down some ideas, um, but just start doing it. And I know that's that's like lame advice. Just do it. Right. But I really think that um, uh, that's what I found with these rolling rights is it's been a really great creative outlet for me. And uh, it just took uh, the push of well, I'm I'm going to just do it in a week. And so just say, what, what would it look like for you to do uh, a weekend that you just, I'm going to see how far I can move a design forward uh, and hopefully have something I could could uh, play with some friends. Awesome. Well, Joe, you mentioned Dice in the Darkness. You told us about how it plays. You get this really cool episodic structure to it that's going to be played online and people can play along. But tell us, where do we find it? When is that happening? Give me the detail. Yep. So you can go to Twitch. Uh, my Twitch channel is Beluga Bliss Games. Uh, just getting going on that and learning how to Twitch, but man, would love for you to join in and play play a game uh, with me over there. So that's Thursday nights at, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can uh, go over there for that. Uh, you know, I'm on the social networks and all that stuff, so you can follow along there. I've been posting a lot of uh, pictures as I've been uh, prototyping and playing along, uh, just saying, here's this thing I've been working on, and uh, it'll be coming out soon. So I say soon. Uh, about half the rooms are, are fully done and the others are, are in play testing and, and on their way. So uh, looking to have it launch in, in March. And so if you uh, follow along on Beluga Bliss, we'll be going uh, right there on that Thursday in March and would love for you to play along. It's going to be a fun experience. And uh, along with it, you know, would love all the feedback that comes comes with it each after each game i'll have a survey and you can fill that out about what you thought about it and just to try to make it the best experience for for anyone that touches it very cool and now do people go there to download the sheets like where do they find the the assets to be able to play along yeah so all these other games i've mentioned are on board game geek uh, you can go to the game page and they're in the file section uh those it will actually be going live there on the spot and it'll be via dropbox and so uh, for each week, you actually show up. And uh, a lot of folks, they do roll and writes on their computer. So they actually don't print anything off. And they'll just uh, interact with it with uh, whatever their um, device is. And they draw on their, their device. Uh, but it'll be available that day. To, that'll be the first time that you can download it. So you'll just come. There'll be a QR code that you can uh, uh, take a picture of. Or you can just click a link. And it'll go right to uh, the, the page for it. Very 
Cool. Well, Joe, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the streaming and figuring out all the fun that goes along with yeah. that. Good luck with more rolling rice. I'm sure you're you're cooking up quite a few and uh, good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Yeah, thanks. And can I give a, a shout out to this uh, game Animals and Espionage that's coming out? Um, my buddy Cody, yeah, yeah. Cody um, with Twin City Games, uh, he made this game Dino Dunk, uh, which was a dexterity game. And he was on the show uh, before. Uh, Cody's just awesome. And he's been such a great inspiration to me and such a great uh, person to, to work with. And uh, I started making a game called Factor Fiction Fruit, which takes this I split you choose mechanic. And uh, anyways, Cody has, has picked that up and uh, he uh, is going to publish it through Twin City Games and it's going to go to Kickstarter uh, in mid-March or in uh, early April. So just wanted to, to share briefly about that and just a heads up, uh, check that out. It's a, a really quick two-player I Split You Choose where you are playing animal spies and trying to uh, bluff the other player by uh, sending uh, spies to the other team and trying to recruit agents. Um, my daughters, who are six and eight now, they helped me make this game and uh, to watch their faces as they would try to bluff and uh, send their secret agent to my side was just a, a blast. So um, Cody's played it with his parents, so it's it's uh, they've had a great time with it too. Uh, it's been play tested in, in a lot of different ways, and uh, really excited about uh, this I Split You Choose game that's going to be coming out. Nice. And where can people find more about that one? Yeah, so you can actually go to TwinCityGames.com and uh, sign up to get informed when the Kickstarter goes live, uh, and. That, that's probably the best way to, to check that out. Or you can just uh, go to Kickstarter in, in uh, late March and, and be able to, to see it there. Awesome. Well, again, Joe, appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with that game and all the other cool stuff you got going on. Gabe, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?